0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Well, a very warm welcome to Scorebox. We've got Jeff in the middle, Karen over there on the left and me, Steve Sedgwick on the right. And these are your headlines. But now the S&P hitting new highs as investors bank on the economy reopening and the Fed prepares to meet later
2: today. And importantly, we will be watching. As we know, the Federal Reserve will be, too. And we believe the Fed has the tools to address any inflation. Um, so, you know, I think that right now the imperative is to get to the other side of this pandemic.
1: Germany, France, Italy and Spain all pausing their AstraZeneca jab rollouts over fears of blood clots with the European Medicines Agency Safety Committee due to meet today with the WHO calling
2: for calm. This does not necessarily mean these events are linked to vaccination, but it's routine practice to investigate them. And it shows that the surveillance system works and that effective controls are in place.
3: Facebook strikes a deal with Rupert Murdoch's News Corp to pay for content in Australia after the social media giant briefly cut off access to news in the country.
0: And we're gonna look at Volkswagen numbers as the company ramps up its EV plan here in Europe, announcing six battery factories across the continent By 2030, we will speak shortly with the CEO, Herbert Deese.
1: Right. uh, Very good morning to you. We're waiting for um, more news to hit the wires from Volkswagen. We saw an enormous statement yesterday talking about their uh, battery procurement plans and their plans to build half a dozen electric battery cell plants in Europe, expand infrastructure for charging vehicles globally, accelerating efforts uh, to, first of all, catch up with and then overtake Tesla and speed up mass adoption of uh, powered, uh, battery-powered cars as well. Uh, shares in the company did rally on the back of yesterday's announcement. Karen, you've got a few of the flashes. Uh,
3: just a couple of lines here that uh, Volkswagen will, uh, to ensure that demand for battery cells can be met, Volkswagen and its partners plan to build six-cell factories. And so they're talking about the expansion. Uh, this is uh, 6 o'clock this morning, just hitting the tape. Also, the group is driving expansion of public fast charging network in Europe, China and the United States. So real acceleration in these plans. But uh, our, our colleague Annette might have on this given that a lot of the flashes are in German this morning. And I think her German is a little better than, than mine at this stage. Annette.
2: Yes. Yes. Hello, Karen. I'm just having a little Reuters problem, but here we are back. So essentially what we are currently hearing from the company is more of a reiteration of yesterday because they're saying that they're planning on having a 7 to 8% return on sales as soon as possible. Um, they are tr- aiming for a further improvement of their profitability after 2021. So there is a um yeah though they're coming the flash of the uh, fixed cost they should um yeah be cut by two billion euro um b- until twenty twenty three um compared to twenty two um anticipation that the business will recover significantly compared with the previous year and they're assuming uh, a successful containment of the con- uh, yeah provided there will be a successful containment of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, of course. They're also saying that they um, are planning to have, which I think is very interesting in terms of battery development, 80% of their vehicles should have a unified cell, which makes it a lot cheaper going forward to produce batteries for them. And that's one of their biggest aims actually, to be competitive by cutting the cost to produce those batteries. It could be for the small vehicles up to 50% less cost compared to now when they are going large scale on that battery production. We know that they are planning on having six gigafactories only in Europe, which would enable them to provide 4 million electrified cars uh, with their own batteries um, only, as I said, only in Europe. So when it comes to <clears throat> more earnings, we know um, that the, uh, the research and Uh, development costs will, of course, be high. Um, They are planning, though, um, more investments in that area, especially uh, until 2025. But they're seeing also a reduction here. So I think the biggest bulk of the investment will more or less be now in the next couple of years years when they're building up all that capacity because they're also planning on investing in their um, loading infrastructure because clearly that is very much lacking at least in continental Europe so um, as of now that's mainly it so to uh, summarize or to sum it up again they aim to um, reach a higher profitability even after 2021 and they're looking into to a rather successful 2021, um, um, given that there will be no um, further worsening of the corona crisis in their main markets. With that, back to you.
1: That's fabulous. And of course, we'll get plenty more details uh, as they hit the wire later on throughout the morning as well. Um, plus, we will be speaking on the programme with the CEO Herbert Dies. First on interview on 745CET, a lot of questions, of course, about what the company is going to do with its structure where it has a vast amount of brands on the one Um, one uh, one factory, one one grouping at the moment. And quite frankly, that isn't releasing the sum of the parts that many in the industry think they can. We're hearing a lot of rumors about Porsche, about uh, Bugatti, where they go next. This is a company that trades at 7.5 times forward as opposed to Ferrari, which trades, yeah, about four times as much, i.e. about 30 times forward. So we'll we'll come to that a little bit later on. In the meantime, uh, Credit Suisse has updated the market on uh, what is uh, a a very important story for them and indeed for uh, the broader, the financing sector, let alone the financing that goes to the companies that facilitate that as well, i.e. Seal, and the problems there as well. But Credit Suisse has said they've made a strong start to 2021, continued over the last month, with the group achieving its highest level of income before taxes in both January and February in a decade. Notwithstanding the continued COVID-19 pandemic, our credit loss experience remains benign. Right, so that's the the covering statement. Now the bit that people want to read. Uh, With regard to the suspension and liquidation of the Supply chain finance funds uh, with assets originated and structured by Greensill Capital. Credit Suisse's priority remains the recovery of funds for GSAM's investors, for their asset managers, uh, division investors. Uh, They say its asset management is working closely with the administrators of Greensill Capital, Grant Thornton and other parties to facilitate this process. Uh, they intend to announce further cash distributions over coming months and will update fund investors accordingly. Huh? But here we go. With respect to the collateralized $140 million bridge loan made by Credit Suisse to Greensill last year, Fifty million has recently been repaid by the administrators of Green Seal Capital, reducing the outstanding loan to ninety million dollars. And as you know on this channel uh, and in a a lot of newspapers, including a great coverage from the Financial Times, who have led the coverage on this one as well, as indeed they did uh, with, of course, Wirecard. There have been big questions about why risk managers were either ignored or not consulted about the loans that were given to Green Seal or indeed. um, to Green Seal from Credit Suisse as well, so that's still a question which many want answers for. Uh, Credit Suisse says possible that Credit Suisse will incur a charge in respect of these matters, i.e. Like the 90 million dollars, but they have recovered circa 50. 50- million dollars
3: steve as we start out the show today taking a granular look at companies the broader picture for a lot of these big names still remains the economic story and there are three big topics that have been really hitting at the investor sentiment at this point vaccines stimulus and what's happening with central banks this week now the vaccine story you can see the united states Firmly in the green yesterday and in many investors stateside, though eyeing the domestic vaccine story, the rollout of those inoculations to about 3 million Americans per day with the target of offering a first dose vaccine to Americans, American adults by the 1st of May. That is a very fast journey in contrast to what was playing out in Europe yesterday. The news that the AstraZeneca jab had been paused after possible serious side effects with investigations continuing in major countries from Germany, France to Italy. So very separate themes on the vaccine in story versus the United States and Europe. Also, when it comes to stimulus, the $1.9 trillion has been digested by the markets and we continue to see the recovery trade. They're the big factor around central banks as we waited out for this two-day meeting from the Fed to see whether there's any change in the language around the growth story and also what that may mean for the dot plots around interest rate hikes down the track. So central banks very much in focus. And that's elsewhere too uh, from the Bank of Japan later on this week and the Bank of England. So the markets, as you can see, very strong bouncer, record levels on the Dow, the S&P, the Russell 2000 and the Dow Jones transports. When it comes to the likes of the Dow, when you get into that bounce of 174 points, the big moving stock was McDonald's. And don't forget, this is a stock that early on, sort of the recovery trade last year, stalled to an extent. Now, as we've had more of that stimulus money in the system, it's got another tick higher. So that was one of the big movers, if you take a look at that stock. And also when it comes to what we're seeing on technology, still participating in the journey, as you can see. 1% bounce for the Nasdaq, not at those record levels, given the extent of the selling that we witnessed in recent weeks with this rotation trend. So just drifting off its highs despite a very strong performance yesterday. let's get into what we saw elsewhere, those Dow Jones transports, airline stocks on the back of that vaccine story that I was mentioning in the United States have been particularly strong. And as a result, uh, the size of the bounce is six tenths of a percent. Industrials playing in the story around recovery. And you can see materials as well up about a tenth of a percent. Uh, Treasuries, let's just take a quick look. I think uh, the central bank action has put a bit of a pause in the market We climbed about 1.64% last week, but we've drifted off those levels. The market, though, a little bit cautious around what we're likely to hear from the Fed. So I think the action might be a little bit later on this week, not necessarily at the start. Jeff.
0: Yeah, Karen, it's interesting, isn't it, how uh, this narrative around inflation at the moment remains key, I think, to how many investors are considering the medium term and how they want to place their bets at this stage. And I think the messaging has been very singular and very unified, that inflation doesn't necessarily have to be a near-term problem. Transitory, I think, is what the Fed has been saying. Well, Cecilia Rouse, chair of the White House Economic Council, or rather White House Council of Economic Advisors, is also downplaying the inflation risk. Uh, She told CNBC it is important to beat the vaccine, or rather beat the virus first with the vaccines. Let's hear what she said.
2: There is a risk of there being inflation. Am I losing sleep over it? No. Um, The reason is that there's considerable slack in this economy. And we know that the way that the American Rescue Plan is designed, it's gonna pay out over several quarters. And importantly, we will be watching. As we know, the Federal Reserve will be too. And we believe the Fed has the tools to address any inflation. Um, So, you know, I think that right now, the imperative is to get to the other side of this pandemic,
0: Uh, So Cecilia Rouse there. Uh, The issue for me is that there seems to be so much consensus in the market that we are going higher here on the back of the stimulus and the stimulus checks that I think you need to perhaps uh, just do a little bit of wildlife spotting here, i.e. watch out for the grey rhinos, keep your eyes peeled to make sure there isn't a black swan on the horizon. And I don't think anybody sees those particular animals at this stage. But when you've got so much of the market all on one side of the position, i.e., uh, when you listen to the Bank of America Merrill Lynch surveys of fund managers, everybody's in, everybody wants to be long equities at this stage, I think you do have to just put your head above the parapet a little bit and look around to see what potential risks are. And uh, we've got this CNBC piece that we teased earlier called uh, March Madness, uh, what the central bank uh, is up to at this stage and the fed is obviously one of those potential risks which i think this two day meeting uh, will be very uh, important for just continuing the uh, there is no risk infl- in in inflation message but the other one is is something that was uh, flagged up by uh, the Rabobank analyst this morning and that is this chatter now about increasing corporation tax in the united states it's a very early stage conversation But potentially it's something that the market may not like. And I guess it's another one of those issues that we need to keep an eye on. But I don't know about you guys. I'm just not seeing that many grey rhinos or black swans at the moment.
3: I think we should just be thankful that we got through yesterday cleanly. I mean, you know, in the markets, uh, a year back, the an anniversary since we saw that market plunge on uh, the 16th of March last year on the, the pandemic sell off. So I think a lot of people were just relieved that we had a fairly decent day of trade yesterday. When it comes to what lies ahead, I'm not so concerned about the the technology side. And we've been talking about that rotation that's undermined some of the confidence in the markets. We've got about the back about that 50-day moving average on the Nasdaq. I was looking again more calls on the likes of Apple, for instance. And you know, there's a view out there by some of the marketplace. There was a report from an analyst at Deutsche Bank that there could be 30% more upside to the stock effectively looking at uh, the intentions to purchase smartphones. That journey's intact still around the 5G story. 57% of iPhone users intend to get the latest model. That is just below the 59% who plan to do so in December 2019. So we're returning back to some of those pre-pandemic trends on the consumer side. And don't forget, these are consumers that have built up savings and where effectively you see more stimulus come through the the mail. So I think there is uh, some momentum still in some of these underlying stocks to recover. Now You certainly saw it at McDonald's stock, as I pointed out before.
1: Yeah, and, and absolutely clear. But what is absolutely very clear as well is we're making huge comparisons with 2013. I can't move for copy about comparing what the bond markets are on are not doing now compared with they did in 2013 when Ben Bernanke... Uh, through in many ways, no fault of his own. His language was very clear. Uh, what the markets interpreted uh, as, as a withdrawal of liquidity, a withdrawal of stimulus, and actually the markets had a paddy. Uh, and there's a very good comment, I think it was in the London Times I was reading today from one contributor saying, uh, What is more powerful, the central banks or the markets? And uh, the conclusion, I think, from that article was that the markets uh, dictate what the central bank policy is now a little bit more than the central banks are likely uh, to want to dictate themselves. Yes, inflation is out there. We can all all see it in various ways as well. Now, whether it comes through in CPI, that is another conversation. But we see it in shrinkage. We see it in our council tax bills. We see it in all kinds of ways. Just, And it is not just the base effects. It's coming through in speculation as well. It's coming through in bubbles in various individual products. The central banks know there is a degree of inflation out there. But by their tight CPI measure, we know that it's not coming through and is unlikely to come through in a meaningful way. But in other ways, it's there clear and present, isn't it, Jeff?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is the, the central banks have given us a cover off, or if you're an investor, they've effectively, uh, said, look, we've got your back here, because for a start, we don't think it is, uh, going to be a permanent and stubborn shift in expectations, and that ultimately is the issue with inflation. Um, the, uh, uh the, the consumer has to believe that it's, arrived, it's coming, it's arrived, and it is going to stay around for some time before they begin to adjust their behaviour. And of course, that behaviour in itself can accelerate inflationary pressures. The Fed is continuing to argue, as are other central banks, this is a transitory phenomena at this stage. But they've also got the opt-out that they're saying, well, even if it is here a little bit longer, we're happy to let that inflation run hot. Before we begin to consider any kind of policy options that might bring the party to an end, i.e. An, incre- an increase in interest rates or, for goodness sake, maybe even a reduction in some of the bond purchasing that they're all engaged in at this time. So. Whilst I agree with you, Steve, I think inflation is something that we really have to keep a very close eye on. At this point, it's hard to see how it's a negative story necessarily for equities. For bonds may be a slightly different issue here because the market will make its own conclusions and it has been. And it was interesting seeing Ray Dalio out there in a Bloomberg piece effectively saying the the quote is the economics of investing in bonds has become stupid. So yet again, uh, another big, well-known investor who is telling the market equities is where you need to be. Bonds, no, we're not so sure because of exactly what you've mentioned, that if there is this gradual ratcheting up of inflationary pressures, the bond market is where you're going to feel the pain.
1: Uh, OK, all right, we'll, we'll carry this on. <laughs> we've, got, oh, we've got to move on. Uh, great comments. Thank you very much. OK, right. Coming up on the show, North Korea nuclear weapons and China were on the agenda for day one of the American Secretary of State Antony Blinken's first official trip. More after the break. Right, let's uh, take a look at uh, some live pictures where the uh, Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State and the Defense Secretary Austin are meeting with the Japanese Foreign Minister and Japanese Defense Minister, of course. Uh, A lot of um, thoughts about what is going on geopolitically and international relations and whether there are so-called alliances or the Quad or what have you uh, being put together to combat specific threats or more general threats as well. Uh, And certainly in Asia, the focus has been uh, on um, a deterrent, perhaps, to Chinese expansionism. And I'm just on that note, before we move on, the UK uh, will outline its strategy to counter China. In a major defence and foreign policy update today, the publication will reportedly label Beijing the biggest state-based threat and call for tighter cyber protections and stronger military and diplomatic positioning in the region. The Integrated Review will also set out broader targets for UK military diplomatic and intelligence operations in a post-Brexit world. So U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken doubled down on North Korean nuclear or denuclearization efforts uh, during bilateral talks with his Japanese counterparts in Tokyo. It's the first leg of his first official overseas tour, which will include South Korea. Now, Blinken and top Chinese diplomats are also expected to hold landmark talks in Alaska later today. Uh, And here we see the age old problem, Karen and Jeff, as well, is whilst you need and want to have expansionist trade, uh, a more bilateral trade uh, with China and indeed other parties as well. You have to at the same time consider what the geopolitical threats are. And it reminds, dare I say, of, of the Cold War when there were actually a lot of trade, certainly energy uh, coming to the west from Russia, uh, goods going to the east, certainly from Germany as well, uh, despite the fact that there was a, a clear and present antagonism at a geopolitical uh, and indeed a leadership level.
3: This is a debut trip for, for Blinken and- Austin to effectively wanting to, to pack a punch, but it's curious because under the previous administration, we heard a lot more about trade around the, some of the other geopolitical issues, and you know really right front and center on the agenda has been human rights abuses in China, also the the push of China's might against uh, Taiwan, uh, which we know is a very delicate matter, and Hong Kong, what's played on democracy there. So I wonder whether the tone will shift a little bit away from trade back to some of these core issues for the Americans as they conduct this tour. The other point too around putting troops on the ground is an extension of agreement to uh, keep troops on the ground in Japan for another year in South Korea for five more years. That suggests a presence in the region that the Americans think will hope deter China. Whether that makes any difference, who knows at this point. But I think uh, what many of the investors actually want to know is what's happening on the trade front. Is there a link here as we talk about uh, the geopolitics, Jeff?
0: Yeah, let me pick up on that, because I think um, that is critical here, because it runs twin track against the security slash defense slash containment strategy that I think, Steve, you were talking about there. And clearly there are good reasons uh, for the U.S. administration to be focused on this, not least uh, Kim Yo-jong, uh, the um, North Korean leader's uh, brother who is thought to be quite influential, who is out there. In the, uh, news stories this morning telling the U.S. don't cause a stink here. So as a nuclear armed state, this is just one more of those issues that Secretary Blinken is going to have to deal with and which is very much, uh, in his remit. But the trade story, I think is, is slightly more complicated here. And I, I'm, I'm waiting to see which way this administration jumps because famously, uh, the U.S decided not to participate in TPP. And that was seen as a uniting and and rather successful attempt to bring together uh, through trade a lot of those major regional powers and pull them into a block where there could be a a new level of uh, cooperation and competition. And by not joining, the United States missed an opportunity to be a steering power of that organisation I think we've yet to see ultimately what the Biden administration's policy is in terms of any multilateral approach to trade in the region. At the moment, they seem to be focused on the bilateral agreements that are already in existence. But I wonder if, uh, as uh, night follows day, whether ultimately we're going to see trade agreements follow this initial activity that we're seeing in terms of the quads and the broader security agenda. So I think just something to, to watch out for. And of course, we'll be very interested to see what ultimately those trade deals look like, because Uh, Secretary Blinken and others have already talked about the need to crank up competition against uh, China in technology terms. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.